0: Richard Weavers is the founder and CEO of the Ocean Agency. He is a fellow of the Explorers Club and an adjunct professor at the University of Rhode Island. He is best known for his leading role in the Emmy award-winning documentary, Chasing Coral on Netflix, and his work has been featured in numerous publications and documentaries. Before diving into ocean and coral reef conservation, Weavers worked at some of the top London advertising agencies and then as an artist and underwater photographer. This background guides his unique creative and business thinking approach to ocean conservation that includes inventing the camera that took Google Street View underwater, pioneering virtual reality ocean education, currently available to over 90 million kids, leading the most comprehensive underwater photographic survey of the world's coral reefs, and developing a science-based global plan, 50 Reefs. Richard Fevers, welcome to One Planet Podcast and the creative process.
1: Thank you very much.
0: And, you know, we've just been enjoying your documentary series that's on the Netflix, Chasing Coral. And I think you expressed it there so succinctly and vividly, you know, without a healthy ocean, we do not have a healthy planet. And how do we communicate these issues has been one of your missions at the Ocean Agency. So tell us first, what drew you to the ocean? Before that, you had been in advertising and you've made that transition that you're using your storytelling skills to persuade about saving the planet. The biggest cause there is.
1: Yes, I think that advertising skills really set me up for having a different approach to ocean conservation. And we have this ocean that is in desperate need for support for ocean science and ocean conservation. And so those advertising skills are key to engaging people with the ocean and getting that support for action.
0: And you also address the fact there's so much of life coming from the oceans, but it's that out of sight, out of mind. And you've done that through this multimedia expression. Just tell us how you break that down and just get it beyond data to touch our hearts and minds.
1: Yeah, I think I've gone through this huge learning curve since I left advertising, got into ocean conservation, and I thought it would be a lot easier than it has been. I thought people would naturally want to be engaged with the ocean, but it's as if we've got this divide and we are removed from the ocean. It's like this other world on our planet, which we don't really think about. So what I've tried to do is really understand the root causes for that. And I think we've got this sort of terrestrial perspective of the ocean, which is fundamentally flawed. And so we need to be really clever and really creative in our communications to engage people with the oceans. When you think about it, the fact is something like 95% of countries don't educate people about the ocean. So we've got about a billion kids growing up without understanding even the basics about the ocean. So we need to really overcome some of these big barriers if we're going to be effective in our communications and get support for the action that's needed.
0: Yes, just narrowing in on chasing coral. There were so many things that I learned. I didn't realize the whole thing about coral. It's a living organism, which is so vast. I hadn't even understood that exactly. It's a wonder.
1: Well, I got drawn into sort of coral reef conservation after sort of launching this new career in ocean conservation because they're just such fascinating animals. You've got this tiny animal that builds cities which are bigger than our cities, which support so much life, the most biodiverse ecosystem on the planet. And they're amazing. They've been evolving for half a billion years and they've almost developed these superpowers. So they can clone themselves. They don't have a life expectancy. They can take the energy of the sun and convert it into into structures that become the home for a million creatures or more. So it's just this amazing, amazing system, but it's also the system that's most vulnerable to climate change. So they are superbly adapted abduct- for the environment, but we've come in and changed that environment. And so they no longer are able to cope with some of the peaks in temperature, which is what we were really wanting to reveal in our documentary, Chasing Corals. Oh,
0: you did. And the enormous challenges to do that kind of photography and to document that coral bleaching taking place over a long period of time, but under short periods of time, just to see how much devastation, even within the space of a year. So I think climate literacy and educating people about our planet Adaptive intelligence, all these things that all of us, everyone on the planet needs to have. And I thought, wow, that video and, of course, the variety of things that you do with the Ocean Agency is a great primer to get us to care, to think and to act.
1: Yes, I couldn't agree more. For me, the ocean is almost the secret to understanding climate change. It is an ocean issue. And when you explain it in terms of the impact on something like a coral reef, where you've got this unbelievably spectacular phenomenon of bleaching, you can show that impact and how it is completely disrupting systems. So I think if we got a much better understanding of the ocean and had better ocean education, we'd be far better placed to be able to One, understand the issue of climate change and two, solve the issue of climate change because we'd be looking in the right place for the solutions.
0: Yeah, it's really the light on the dashboard, I think. And as they say, you know that the climate change is taking place when you've got the water on your front door, when you have this ocean acidification, the coral bleaching and just so many things. And when you just on that issue of the coral reefs, it's not just the coral reef, it's everything that's dependent on that and which originated from that.
1: Yes, with coral reefs, it's just one animal, the coral, which is a foundation species. So you impact that and you impact so many other species. You go to a coral reef and it's just teeming with life. Everything from turtles to small fish to all the crabs and crustaceans, and it's all dependent on that coral. So once that dies, the whole system shifts to a sort of an algae-dominated environment and it finds it very, very difficult to recover. So it's so important that we protect these sort of foundation species.
0: Yeah, and just thinking about our own survival, that there are even cancer, medications for cancer that are being derived from the coral reef. And so how fascinating is that? If you just want to say, prioritize this, because this is touching your life.
1: Yes, we forget how important coral reefs are. They're a great place to go for a snorkel while we're on a summer holiday, but we don't think of their value. This is one of the most valuable ecosystems on the planet. Something like 25% of all marine life live on coral reefs, and they provide the coastal barriers that protect our shorelines and break up that wave energy. So there's all these benefits, and yeah, the one you mentioned, they are a great place for finding sort of drugs for pain relief to cancer medications. These kind of drugs, there are so many many different species with such strange sort of behaviors and adaptations that we can learn so much from them.
0: And the $800 million in international commitments now for protecting our ocean and to assist in developing countries that's been given by the United States.
1: We are starting to see some investments going into ocean conservation. When you look at the value of the coral reefs, and it's it's in the trillions, a few million doesn't really make much difference in terms of protecting that environment, but it can lead to a lot of other investment. And so suddenly starting to have innovative projects in this area, I think is going to lead to a lot more interest and innovation and funding for coral reef conservation. And there are all the other ecosystems that we also need to be prioritizing.
0: Indeed. And where would we be without the oceans? Again, as you cite in your literature and in the documentary, 93% of the heat caused by global warming is absorbed by our oceans. We would just be burning up without it.
1: (laughs) People just forget the importance of the ocean. It is the source of life. It is what sustains life. You look at all aspects of the ocean and it impacts every aspect of your life. It's what causes wars. It's what causes famines. It really controls the climate system. And yet we don't think about it. We don't think about the systems that are working in the ocean that are impacting climate in a major way, not just in terms of the problem, but also in terms of the solutions. For example, you ask a question like, what's the most common animal on the planet? And most people would scratch their heads and probably answer and but it's actually a copepod. When there's twenty billion copepods on the planet for every human being. And these are all little carbon capturing devices, which are sucking carbon out of the system and pooping it to the ocean floor. And this is one of the solutions that's happening in this epic scale in the ocean that we're nearly not concentrating on. And there's so many sort of other examples like that. It's just a different system in the ocean. Carbon goes down rather than up. We're just not thinking in these terms. So we're really not taking advantage of these of the opportunities that the ocean provides.
0: Yes, this is a very important ecosystem. Then, of course, we have our rainforest and our soil. And how many ecosystems are we just going to allow to deteriorate or die out? It's just, it's astonishing. And I think that with water in general, we have this kind of illusion because we know that it renews itself. We don't see it and it gets washed away and we feel like it rejuvenates itself. We don't have to do anything.
1: This is the problem is we tend to stand on land and look at the ocean and we think we see the real ocean, but something about being out in the open ocean where everything is moving and you feel the energy and you realize this is, it is controlling everything. So you start to see the ocean for what it is. And looking into sort of ancient cultures, the ancient Polynesians, who were the sort of the seafarers, also had this sort of view of the ocean. They looked at the ocean from shore and they called it death, And that wasn't because it wasn't full of life. It just wasn't the energy of the ocean beyond the reef. And once you got beyond the reef and beyond the horizon, that's where the real ocean kicked in. And rather than calling it a body of water, they describe it as energy. So the ocean is an energy they're related to. And I think they've got a far better perspective of the ocean than we do.
0: Some of us live too far in land and we can't have those kind of adventures out in the ocean. But it's just the same thing. as like sending young people to farms so they understand the ecosystem and how that works and the miracle of that life.
1: And I couldn't agree more. For me... The ultimate inspiration is when you get into the ocean and start looking at all the life. Everything has got a fascinating story behind it when you start researching it and just looking at the behaviours. It is this alien world on our own planet that you can go and explore. I used to be based in Sydney for a long period of time and you would never imagined you could see such stunning life in the harbour. But it was one of my favourite places to go snorkelling. You would see such bizarre life like these shallow Water anglerfish that can eat a fish twice its size, or the seahorses, or just all sorts of just crazy life. That you look at it and you go, "What is that?" It's these bizarre colours, it's bizarre shapes, it's able to change its colour. All these different incredible skills that they have, and for me, that is really exciting and it's really inspirational.
0: Yeah, some of them it is science fiction. Are able to show like a face on one side to, to a they that have a completely different face on the other side or have oh. lights on their head.
1: Now, that's the, the cuttlefish. It's, yeah, it's just great. You put your hand up and start moving and they'll copy you. And like you say, they can cross-dress to appear angry from one side and happy from the other side. And it's just really strange, quirky behaviour. They can change their shape and their texture to match their surroundings. And as the waves pushes them, Towards weed, for example, they'll just change their their shape and texture, and then, as the waves moves them away, they'll change it again. So it's just you're looking at all these creatures doing such strange things, and it's just magical watching.
0: We think we can avoid the increase in the global temperatures, but many people say we're headed towards the two degree change above pre-industrial levels. What what does that mean for the oceans? Do you feel the same thing looking at the carbon dioxide levels and from fossil fuels? I think record high in in 2022. So what are your feelings about that and what does that mean for the oceans?
1: Well, it's obviously tough conservation because... Coral reefs are the ecosystem that is the most vulnerable to climate change. They're also the most biodiverse ecosystem. And it's predicted that we will lose about 99% of coral reefs if we hit that two degree threshold. So we know we're going to lose the vast majority of coral reefs. And there's not a lot we can do about that fact. But we can now start shifting into looking at the recovery. So let's save as much as we can and then look at ways that we can improve that recovery. And this is one of the exciting things for me, is this mind shift now to start thinking about the recovery. So it's things like coral reefs have these spawning events where they reproduce, and only about one in a million coral larvae survives and resettles on a reef. Could we increase that to one in a thousand? So capture that coral larvae and then resettle it on a reef. Could we prepare that reef? So allow coral reefs to reseed themselves much quicker. Can we look for the areas where we can protect them? We've been working in Egypt and the great fringing reef there, which sort of hugs the coast. There you could potentially use things like shade to protect those reefs and buy them extra time to survive the global warming that's coming. And focus, Focus on key areas which are least vulnerable to climate change. So this is another sort of project that we've worked on called 50 Reefs, where we came up with this idea of finding the reefs which are least vulnerable so that we can concentrate our conservation and restoration efforts in those locations and give them the best chance of survival. So there's lots that we can do now to prepare for what's coming because we know what's coming. And then the other aspect is often we have this very negative view of the future. We don't think that corals will survive, whereas they've been around for half a billion years and they are great survivors. I'm actually particularly excited about the Red Sea. A lot of science has gone into coral reefs recently, and these are some of the most climate resilient reefs in the world. You've basically got a current that goes up one side of the Red Sea and a current that goes up the other side. And when they mix, it pulls up water from the deeper ocean and cools that northern part of the Red Sea. So you get this pocket, which is a lot less vulnerable to climate change than than other areas. You've also got the, the seeding effect. So corals in warmer parts of the Red Sea reproduce and those corals then potentially settle in the cooler areas and they bring some of that climate tolerance. So there's several factors which make these reefs very resilient to climate change compared to other reefs. And there are also these reefs which are phenomenally popular. You get probably twice as many people diving in Egypt than you do on on the Great Barrier Reef. But could we use all those people going out to the reef to be part of that protection process or even restoration process? So there's lots of different exciting ideas that we can do in that region to protect those reefs. These are probably the most valuable reefs in the world. So there's a lot of financial interest in protecting those reefs. The other area is in French Polynesian, lack of people impacting those reefs, but also because of the potential for storytelling around the Pacific Islands and that cultural knowledge that we can leverage and use that as a way of igniting support for coral reef conservation.
0: Yes. And you talk about citizen scientists or artists or other communicators who can really get involved in this. At the same time, that underwater photography, of course, is these challenges, like you have to create the special equipment. So how do you empower them to make it more collective and, I guess, affordable for those of us who don't have all the access? So what
1: we've tried to do is be as creative as we can in terms of communication. And I think art is underutilized in this area. so we're not generally that engaged with oceans. So we need to be more creative in how we communicate. Simply showing an underwater image can only have so much impact. Often people switch off or they think they've seen it all before. Whereas if you are getting people to question what's going on. So we recently did a project with the UNESCO where we thought, let's bring the seven ocean literacy principles. So these are the things everyone should know about the ocean and challenge the artist community to bring those to life visually. So it's things like vast majority of the ocean remains unexplored or humans are entirely dependent on the ocean. How do you bring that to life visually in a way that's going to make people stop in their tracks and just question what's going on in the image? And we're finding this is one of the best tools for engaging kids in education you know and some of the images that have come back have just been phenomenal it was a an eye in the ocean in the middle of almost like a whirlpool and it just grabs your attention first then gets you thinking about what's going on and then when you hear the underlying fact behind it, it actually sinks in and people start remembering. And that's why I think we need to be more creative in our communication, especially about the ocean's role in climate change, being able to communicate some of these sort of key facts in a way that's more engaging than just showing a picture of the ocean with clouds above it, for example
0: say, when you make something, it stays with you. Then if you're learning at the same time that you can actually be teaching it to someone else, then you become from pupil to teacher, that becomes really stronger and it stays with you. And Something that we do with our students from different backgrounds is their chance to engage with inspiring and accomplished individuals such as yourself. So we try to move beyond the data so it becomes part of our lives and our stories that we have that deeper sense of empathy.
1: Yes. And if you think about our own bodies, we're 60% water. And that water was once in the ocean with fish swimming through it. We are essentially ocean. And we've got this sort of deep relationship with the ocean that we don't think of enough. And I think we can get really creative in how we communicate some of these things.
0: And some of your initiatives go beyond oceans like mangroves or the corals. They're not out in the deep, deep ocean, all of them. So just tell us a little bit about some of those other initiatives.
1: What we try to do is make learning about these ecosystems a bit more creative, fun, and a bit logical. What we try to do is make it attractive to really learn about these ecosystems and understand their importance, mangroves, for example. Or what are the seven most important things you should know about coral reefs or seagrass? And then bring to life some of these amazing stories about seagrass, the largest plant on the planet. They they discovered one in Australia. I forget just how many square kilometres it is, but it's huge. And these are some of the most important plants in terms of absorbing carbon and safely storing it in the ocean floor. And we're not thinking about these ecosystems enough. And so We wanted to provide some of the tools to make teaching these subjects a lot easier. We try to create the excitement and the support organizations to act as a catalyst for the work that they do. Obviously, it would be really rewarding to be on the ground restoring these areas, but I feel that we can make more of an impact by looking at this on a global scale and getting interest in all the Organizations doing this kind of work on the ground. We spent a lot of time out in Hawaii during the filming of Chasing Coral, and it's this magical place. It feels like you're going back in time when you go to Hawaii. And it's the culture and this relationship with the ocean that it is so important that I find fascinating, part of the Polynesian Triangle and the whole culture that's associated with that. So there's so much we can learn in Hawaii, and and arguably it's one of the best places in the world to experience the real ocean, in my view. I love going there. But it was one of those tragic stories in terms of corals and the bleaching events, having two consecutive bleaching events. And that was pretty much the same year that three hurricanes in a row about to hit Hawaii. And it was just showing how ocean temperature is impacting this region more than some other regions. I think telling that story powerfully was really important to do. So I try to do things in a different way to be a bit more disruptive in how I approach it. I think individual actions are important, but I think you need to turn it on its head so that it is very scalable. And often we focus on the negative. So it's about giving up this and giving up that because it's bad rather than seeing the opportunity of this moment. This is a transformative time and we need to start thinking smarter about the solutions. Let's start thinking smarter about how we live our lives. And what I've tried to do is try to reframe climate action as something that is exciting and is an opportunity. I look at the business opportunities that have come out of climate change and one that springs to mind is People are growing now seaweed to feed to cattle, and they're making good business out of this, and it's massively reducing the methane emissions from those cattle. And these are just great business ideas that suddenly we're at this transformative time that we need big ideas, and they are opportunities. So encouraging that creativity, innovation, and really getting people doing what people do best, coming up with great ideas.
0: Yeah, indeed. And so during this time, you've noticed, obviously, the coral bleaching. Just tell us a little bit, looking back, what you witnessed, unfortunately.
1: I think the biggest witness has been coral reefs. And I fell in love with the Great Barrier Reef and seeing kind of the impacts has been heartbreaking. But there are pockets which are still in just as good condition as when I first saw them. So there are these areas of hope where we need to be concentrating our efforts. Now, I've been fortunate enough to do a lot of traveling and seen a lot of reefs. And there has been major impacts. We went out to the Red Sea in November, the climate conference. And there you're next to one of the most climate resilient reefs. and It was phenomenal when you jumped in the water, seeing the health of that reef system, even though it is in a hot part of the world, and just seeing it thriving is exciting because you see these areas where we can really concentrate our efforts and we can really start being genius about how we protect them to survive what is coming.
0: Yeah, and what's so beautiful about that, seeing the level of cooperation. Often we're told that we are the creatures capable of empathy or whatever, and we cooperate or are vastly superior intelligence or whatever, but you see it on every level. It's just maybe it's hidden a little bit from our sight, but when you really investigate, it's amazing.
1: Yes, and that's what fascinates me about the ocean is you jump in the ocean and it really doesn't matter where you are. You've got these environments where you've got such quirky creatures and each one has got its own little personality that may be completely different from another creature that's the same species and you see how they live even sharks for example black tip reef sharks have a range of about a kilometer so you see them time and again on the same reef and you see their behavior and how they're interacting with the other animals and when you start seeing animals working together and hunting together fish and moray eels swimming off together to go hunting it's just fascinating to watch manta rays coming in and getting cleaned and you're watching the fish swim into their mouths and cleaning inside their mouths and these kind of very strange behaviors that is just fascinating to look at.
0: And of course, forefront in our minds, the CO2 and global warming, but also on this level of, I don't know if we're, how we're going to tackle the plastics pollution. There's a number of things. The oceans have also noise pollution and different things, but what are your views on plastics and have you seen some kind of promising solutions? It's a difficult transition, right?
1: I think ocean plastics is a huge issue that Once it's in the ocean, there's not a lot that we can do there. But fortunately, a lot of it sinks and is safely stored in the ocean floor in the same way that carbon gets captured by the ocean and safely stored in the ocean floor. So I think we've got to get our priorities on just making sure we focus enough on the other issues that we're not talking about rather than just plastics. But I think it's a great way of getting people interested in the oceans. And then in terms of the solution, it's about solution at source. It's making sure we focus on the countries which are causing the the most plastic pollution going into the ocean. For example, Philippines is one of those countries where there's a lot of plastic pollution going in there. And having a system set up there to help with that waste disposal on land to prevent it happening in the first place. So I think there's some simple solutions where we can... Focus on key areas in the same way that we focus on reefs that we can save. There are areas where we need to be focusing our efforts. But I think once it's in the ocean, that's beyond the point where we can actually clean it up. We need to be working more at source to come up with ingenious ways for coming up with alternatives for plastics and making sure that we have the sort of waste disposal that stops it getting in the ocean.
0: And it really requires that international cooperation because the boundaries are so vague.
1: Absolutely. I think we've got so much data now on the issues. The key thing is making sure that we have the right information going out there so people have a right picture of the issue. A lot of people have this image in their heads that there's a big floating island of plastic out in the Pacific, and there isn't. You would go out there and you wouldn't be able to notice the plastic to a large degree. Yes, there's a lot of plastic floating around, but a lot of it's under the surface and you're not going to see it. An initiative to clean it up on the surface isn't going to work.
0: I don't know how it could be implemented around the world, but earth law, when I first heard about that and some countries like Ecuador putting it right there in the constitution to protect the earth, it has rights (laughs) and it has some complications. I don't know how we become spokespeople for the earth, but it's very interesting that in America, there are movements for the Green Amendment. So in terms of moving forward political solutions, how do you work with these kind of movements?
1: There are some sort of really great not-for-profits focused on that. And I totally support it but it's not where our skill set lies we're more about raising awareness where we see those opportunities i think that is a great solution just making it illegal or giving the ocean rights would be a great sort of thing if it can be achieved so i think it's going to take a while before some of these solutions happen but it's great that we're starting them now and i do feel that there is a lot of potential in these areas But for me, one of the best ways of getting action is simply to legislate it. So the more legislation that we can have that protects the ocean, the better.
0: Yeah. And harnessing the power of technologies. What are some of those technologies that are just making this work easier as also technologies that, of course, polluting and all this?
1: I think it's an exciting time in oceans because we've got the growth of the blue economy. So people are starting to think more about ocean solutions. What can be done? What is the energy that can be captured in the ocean that then we can use? Do you think about wave energy, that's this immense amount of tidal energy that we need technology solutions. Then when you get into conservation, for example, whales are getting caught in fishing lines. So traps on the bottom, then you've got a line going up to a buoy. Can you have technology that allows that that trap to go down for the lobsters but doesn't have a line going to the surface and it automatically comes to the surface after a period of time so the, the boat can collect it. This is the kind of technology that's being developed at the moment, which for me is really exciting. You've also got robots underwater and we're just at the start of being able to use these at scale. Now, there's absolutely no way we could afford to get marine scientists to do surveys of enough coral reefs to provide the data that we really need, but we've now in a moment where we've got robots that can hug a reef and take imagery of that reef and then just do these really massive surveys and get data at a scale that is a lot more useful than what we're currently able to achieve through putting scientists in in the water. So I think we're at this cusp to unlock the potential of technology. And it's something that people get excited about. They get far more excited about technology solutions than just about the ocean in, in the first place. So just using that technology as a bridge to getting people interested in the oceans, I think is another huge opportunity.
0: And speaking of the mapping, you've been at the heart involved in this. And if you haven't checked it out, you have to check this out. I guess it's on the Ocean Agency, but also through Google as well. You can explore like a kind of Google Maps of the ocean.
1: Yes. So this was our first idea as the Ocean Agency. 99.9% of people don't dive. They can't explore the ocean. So we thought, let's allow them to do that virtually. So we invented a camera that was essentially the same as a a street view car, but for underwater. So we had a sort of military grade scooter with a 360 camera on the front, and you would drive this around the reef and take a thousand pictures in a dive. And then that becomes an under towards a street view experience that allows you to explore that environment and also use it as a baseline for monitoring change over time. So you can go back to that exact location and see how it's changed and report back the good and the bad.
0: Yeah, and it's just very cool that you can give that experience because, as you say, so many people are landlocked and don't have that proximity. I really feel like, yes, the films, but just getting out there will just make you care.
1: Yeah, I think technology is a huge tool for engaging people with this ocean. You now, because we don't get an ocean education, we often develop this fear of the ocean and it becomes this other world that we don't think about. And it, even when we see imagery, we don't really engage. So you need these bridges. We don't use enough good storytelling when it comes to the ocean. We tend to focus on the ocean and almost that natural history approach. Rather than talking about the people, most people wouldn't be able to name an ocean explorer or anybody really associated with the oceans, which is a huge missed opportunity. We need more characters getting actively involved in storytelling around the ocean so they become this sort of magnet for interest in the oceans.
0: And just on this note of what we do on this earth comes back to us, it's this this interlinked cycle, you know, hurricanes and superstorms and floods and places where there were droughts and droughts and in, in places where they've been previously rainy and it just everything turned on its head. So what do you see as you look down the road and how can we obviously change our behaviors to avoid that?
1: Well, I think it's so important to understand the ocean and understand how the ocean plays such a fundamental role in climate change because a lot of people wouldn't even understand some of the basics, like the ocean delays the impacts of climate change on land by about 20 years. Another example is salps, the longest creature on the planet. These can grow to four times the length of a blue whale, and it is one of the ultimate creatures for capturing and storing carbon. And it's a clone animal that can grow 10% in size every hour. So double its size in 10 hours. And it's a carbon capturing that it captures about as much carbon as the airline, as civil aviation industry emits. So working with these systems to make sure they're working as efficiently as possible, but potentially safely enhancing those systems, we can come up with great climate solutions.
0: Yes, and core to this is to make sure that people are properly educated for the future, of course. So as you think about the future and your own climate and your own ocean education and your collaborators, just tell us about some of those reflections that have been important and those things that you've learned that have been important on your journey.
1: Well, we've been working with UNESCO on how do we start bringing in better storytelling? How do we tell a story of ancient cultures and a better view of the ocean that we can learn from. These are the kind of big bold statements that we need more of to make sure that we get ocean education into the classrooms and get people looking in a very different way at our planet.
0: When you speak about like, indigenous cultures or people who have traditionally lived in, with greater harmony with the environment and the oceans, and you just notice the whole tonal shift in terms of this is not something for us to just like for all its resources, but like respect the oceans and that they're, we're beneath it or a part of it, but not above it.
1: Yes, I think we underestimate the power of the ocean now this is like the energy system for our planet and it's only really when you go out into deep ocean into that high seas that you really appreciate that power and you feel our own vulnerability and these ancient cultures tended to understand that and realize we need to work with the ocean and really respect that power
0: yes so as you speak to your children and you pass on what you know and what you care about for young people what would you like them to know preserve and remember
1: Looking at my daughter, I just want her to appreciate the natural world. We have all these impacts happening and there's a lot of negative storytelling, but just going out and experiencing nature, it is still magical. And that inspires so much action simply by going and experiencing nature. And I think there's so much that we can do. It's about being optimistic. Really need to focus on creating excitement around some of these solutions. And for me, there's no reason why the future can't be bright. We can focus on these areas where we can save. We can then be ingenious how we approach it. And we can, within her lifetime see that recovery bouncing back from these major impacts that are happening. So I try to keep this optimistic look of let's really start thinking about the solutions.
0: Indeed, there's a lot of inbuilt resilience. And if we work with it, yeah, we can restore and protect. So thank you, Richard Beavers and the Ocean Agency for your moving storytelling that's relatable, memorable and impactful and your ongoing commitment and advocacy for our oceans and mitigating climate change and just communicating the science and a way that speaks to all and expresses the wonders of the ocean we all live on one planet we call home thank you for adding your voice to the one planet podcast and the creative process
1: thank you very much it's been fun i really appreciate the interest and i love your approach oh, um, thank
0: you the creative process and one planet podcast wishes our listeners happy world oceans day one planet podcast is supported by the jan mishowski foundation This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate interview producer on this episode was Sam Mimes. We hope you've enjoyed this program. If you'd like to get involved in One Planet Podcast and be part of the climate change solution, just drop us a line at team at oneplanetpodcast.org. Thank you for listening.